Welcome to Soundlore, the official podcast of Indiana University's Department of Folklore and Ethnomusicology, where we talk with people about recent scholarship, ideas, current happenings, and many other interesting tidbits. I'm Amanda Luke. And I'm David McDonald. On today's episode of Soundlore, we'll be hearing from Christy Herndon, Dr. Robert Dobler, and Chloe McCormick about the IU Campus Ghost Walk, organized by the Folklore and Ethnomusicology Student Association. Christy Herndon is a senior advisor for the College of Arts and Sciences, working with students in the departments of folklore and ethnomusicology, as well as art history, criminal justice, and linguistics. Dr. Robert Dobler is a lecturer in the Department of Folklore and Ethnomusicology, teaching courses on urban legend, folklore and the internet, and the supernatural. And Chloe McCormick is an MA student here in folklore at IU, as well as a former president of the Folklore and Ethnomusicology Student Association. Hi everyone, I'm Chloe McCormick. I'm Robert Dobler. I'm Christy Herndon. And the topic of today's episode is the Ghost Walk, which is an event organized every year by the Folklore and Ethnomusicology Student Association, better known as FESA. Uh, FESA is an undergraduate organization comprised of students throughout our department and throughout departments all over IU. Uh, and this is by far the most popular event that the group puts on every year. It attracts hundreds of people from campus, from Bloomington, from all around Indiana. Um, and we all really look forward to putting it on. I was a member of FESA for four years as an undergraduate. I served as treasurer and president. So I've had a hand in planning the event under Christy, who gave wonderful guidance, and with Dr. Dobler serving as a storyteller for many of those years. Uh, the Ghost Walk usually takes place every October around time. It's an evening event where we have participants come to the classroom office building where the department's housed. We offer refreshments, Halloween movies, some coloring for the little ones, um, just to get everyone together. And then once we have everyone at the department, we start on a tour throughout campus that walks around in a pre-planned route. So on the stops of our tour, we tell legends, we tell ghost stories, um, anything we think will be interesting to the crowd as we move through campus with some storytellers from the department to keep the crowd entertained. Uh, Christy, do you want to add anything on what the Ghost Walk is? Sure. Um, so Ghost Walk actually was an old folklore department uh, tradition that began, I'm not even sure how many years ago, at least 30 years ago. Um, but it died out in the early 2000s. Uh, and was revived in October 2012 by members of FESA. Um, so it became a student organization event instead of a departmental event. Um, until the department moved to its current location, the classroom office building at 800 East 3rd Street, uh, the ghost walk originated at the department's longtime home at 504 North FES. Uh, that first ghost walk in 2012, the revival, uh, included uh, tours taking us to 504 North Fest. Uh, it had a ghost in it, we heard. Um, uh, Reed Residence Hall, the Indiana Memorial Union, the old Career Development Center at 625 North Jordan, and I believe La Casa. Uh, that first uh, revival tour had about 50 or 60 participants. The last two years uh, have seen at least 150 on the tour. So it has become very popular. 
Um, it first appeared in the IDS as uh, an event to cover in 2012 and then kind of fell off the map a little bit, uh, but then has appeared every year in the IDS um, as an event of note since 2015. How did you come to be involved with the Ghost Walk, Christy? Well, I actually kind of stayed in the background at first. Uh, it, the revival really came from the students. Uh, two or three uh, seniors that year in the Department of Folklore and Ethnomusicology approached um, myself and our Director of Undergraduate Studies at that time, Professor Praveena Shukla, and said, we heard that there used to be this event and we'd really like to revive it. So we said, well, come to the next FESA meeting. Uh, and the president at that time, Grant Rowan, uh, was um, really excited about uh, such an event becoming part of FESA. So, um, like I said, I, I just made sure they had all their logistics together. I didn't even attend a ghost walk, I think, until Chloe was president about three or four years ago, because um, I really wanted it to be something that the students uh, put on. Some uh, years they would do costumes and have people hiding in Dunn Woods and uh, enacting stories as the tour passed by. and. I know that was the case in that that first one in 2012. Um, so, like I said, I, I really it's really an event uh, put on by the students. I help them, maybe to locate storytellers and to, uh, um, like I said, make sure they have all their lanterns and and things like that. But um, the the credit for how the Ghost Walk fares is really all the students. Robbie. Um... You mentioned before that you've been involved in the Ghost Walk as a volunteer kind of consistently. Can you tell us about your experiences? What did you do as, yeah, what have you been doing? Yeah, so I uh, was first approached about being a storyteller on the Ghost Walk in October 2014, right after I started working here as a lecturer in the Folklore Institute. And uh, I had no idea what to expect. Um, and I, you know, it, it's kind of the, the conundrum that a lot of folklorists uh, fall into, where uh, I, I was worried that there's an assumption that I'd be good at telling stories because I study stories, and, and that is definitely not the case, but uh, it's fun. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. So I, I went and I did it, and I was nervous, and I have my, my notes. I still, I still print out the stories, and I read them in the dark by the light of my phone when I can, right up until time to go. But uh, anyway... Um, I was surprised at the turnout. Um, it was a really good turnout, even in, in uh, 2014, and it's only gotten bigger since. And uh, I think it's a great way to, to show the sort of life and, and vibrancy of the campus here. Um, I think it's a really great opportunity for uh, members of the surrounding community that aren't necessarily a part of the college to come and, and explore the college and its traditions as well. Uh, that's the other big thing that, that kind of surprised me about it was there were a lot of students. I expected that a lot of students from some of my classes, which I also expected. And, uh, but there were a lot of families from around the area. Um, they're young kids and it, it becomes a, a walking party kind of, that's um, really nice. Uh, so I had a couple of stories to tell, and uh, it's it's fun to really be part of the storytelling experience to kind of um, take some of these legends that have been told around campus about hauntings and haunted buildings since the 60s, uh, many of them, and 
you know, to still tell them to kind of spice them up a little, but but really sticking to that core uh, idea that's been kind of circulating around campus. And uh, it's always great to hear people in the audience whisper, oh yeah, that building's very haunted. Or, oh, I've, I've heard this. And they kind of anticipate the ending because they're so familiar with it. And that's part of, part of the fun. So what's each of your favorite buildings to kind of stop at? That's such a tough question because there are <laughs> so many good ones. Um, so I think my favorite is the stop that we usually make to the side of the union right by the little cemetery right there. Um, because the of Dun, course, Dun I think it's the Dunn Cemetery. I'm not sure. Next to the little cemetery that's kind of between the union and Valentine, right by uh, Beck Chapel. So that little cemetery, of course, when you're stopped next to it, it kind of gets everyone in the mood for the spooky stories. Uh, people start to get a little more afraid than they had been on the other stops of the tour. Uh, so usually in that spot, we tell some stories about Valentine. Um, it has a really unfortunate history um, with people jumping from the building, um, with ghosts being seen on the upper floors by custodial staff. And so in addition to the Valentine stories, we often talk about Beck Chapel and the cemetery itself, which I've heard that there was a ghost, ghost hunter? I don't know what he would prefer to be called who appeared on one of our tours one year and was snapping photos of the headstones as he was visiting. Uh, and one of the photos that he took, there appears to be something in the background of the photo. I think Christy was there that year, were you? Can you give us some more detail on that story? Um, I, I can't, I, I don't really know much more detail, but I, I do remember that, uh, you know, someone said there was, there's something in the background, uh, which, uh, I find interesting and amusing, I suppose. So I was I was there one year when a, a ghost hunter came along, and I think it must have been after that because he had a whole binder with him of uh, photos that he'd taken around the area and, and a couple of pages that done, and he was showing me uh, an image um, of a ghost uh, hanging out sort of by the streetlight, which which really lines up with a lot of the, the legends that we hear, you know, and in classic uh, ghost photography fashion, somewhere in between unusual looking fog and the, you know the play of light and shadow and something that kind of escapes easy classification uh, but it was he was very very uh fun to talk to he uh, actually brought along cds of uh different recordings evps too that would be interesting to hear i could tell you one of my favorite uh places to tell stories is uh inside the the uh imu uh i've gotten to tell a couple of of the legends that surround um Ghosts associated with different paintings, uh, painting of a, a small child in the Tudor room. And then uh, up in, I believe it's called the Federal Room, uh, there's a, another painting of a, a woman who was, was very influential um, in, in uh, the early administration of the university. And they both are, are unusual paintings that have very creepy stories that go along with them. And uh, again, it's, it's really fun to tell a story and to have that kind of visual, right? Uh, it really helps to create the atmosphere, being after hours in rooms in the, uh, the IMU that are usually, uh, you usually can't go into unless you're, you're doing something very fancy. Uh, they become very different at night. Uh, it's really easy to kind of get that atmosphere and uh, that hush that comes over when people are kind of looking at the paintings. It's, it's really, really cool. I'll say that the Federal Room painting is so scary. That's by far the scariest story that's told on the tour. 
And I know from people who haven't even been on the tour, they say that when they go into that room, they feel very uncomfortable just because they feel like something's a little off and the painting is very scary. <laughs> Um, I think my favorite uh, location um, for the storytelling is by Showalter Fountain. And the storyteller usually will tell a story or two about the IU Auditorium and how someone fell off the, a workman fell off the scaffolding and died and you can still see the blood on the stage. Um, and, uh, and they also tell stories about the Arboretum and uh, some demon activity that uh, took place there uh, with some students. Um, so those, uh, just the setting of standing there in front of Showalter Fountain with the lights playing on the fountain water and uh, imagining things happening in the building behind you as he talks about the auditorium and stuff. Um, and that's usually at the end of the, the tour as well. So it just kind of sticks with you as you walk away. I think I, I agree with that. Um, that's really impactful. And uh, the stories about the old medical cadavers in, uh, I think it used to be Owen Hall in the old Crescent, um, that, that always sticks with me too. How do you find out about all of these stories? Because this is a bunch of IU history that I've never heard of. So how did the FESA members um, find the stories or the, the storytellers, what sort of, I, I don't want to say research, even though that's what it would be, um, did you do to figure out what to tell? So to start each year, the president of FESA has kind of passed down this, uh, this large folder full of documents that we have, a lot of which are typed up versions of these stories that have been told. Um, and so after we have this giant bank of stories, the, one of the most fun parts of the walk is that we as FESA members get to decide where the walk is going to go that year. We're somewhat constrained based on having to start in the classroom office building and not wanting to veer too far from any one stop. But it is really interesting to choose the points that you stop on the tour and then using that bank of stories to kind of fill out what you're going to talk about based around that area. So then once we have chosen the route and chosen the stories, we contact storytellers and give them a stop and a chunk of stories for them to tell. And then once we pass on whatever written up text of the story we have, they're free to kind of add their own little artistic spin and embellishments they'd like to add. And that's always fun because even though you've handed out the stories and kind of know what the bare bones typed up version looks like when you're there watching them tell the story it's usually a lot more exciting um, and it kind of gives life to the stories and then in addition to that bank of stories that we have there's also a book that dr dobler recommended to us one year that we've been pulling from ever since do you know the title of that book i think it's haunted i should have known that was going to come up yeah, uh, well, Haunted Halls is one uh, by a folklorist, uh, Libby Tucker, that's really great. But Indiana specific is called Haunted Hoosier Halls by Kat Klockow. But yeah, so, in, and the author of that book really did um, what FESA was doing too. It's just different, different um, dives into the archives here. We've got a really great archive um, over in the university. Um, archives. They've got a folklore collection, a really great folklore collection. And uh, I think what many of us like to do is, is kind of combine the different variants 
and, and get some of the best pieces to, to get the best, most uh, effective story, um, which is great. I, I always encourage my uh, urban legend students to, to come to the ghost walk because we deal so much with legend texts where they're just kind of static on a page, but it's very different to see. I mean, it's, it's a lesson in context to be standing out um, in a cemetery telling something that you could have read a hundred times and, and you know, not really thought much one way or the other. Of. But when you're hearing it, when it's being acted out, um, it really gets you closer to, to being in the moment um, that's, that's being narrated. Um, some of the stories, a lot of the stories in that big sheaf of papers that Chloe was talking about, um, I believe were collected by the department when uh, the part the department used to put on ghost walk you know, 30 or 40 years ago. Um, uh, the office administrator for many years was a woman named um, Ruth Aiton, and uh, she uh, worked alongside whoever was planning the ghost walk any given year, and she was pretty much the keeper of the stories, and she was the one who was very excited to hear about FESA picking up uh, the event as a revival. And I believe it was she that passed along the first uh, collection of the stories to uh, our students. So I didn't know that Ghost Walk was popular with anyone besides students. So Chloe, when you mentioned having like drawing for the little ones <laughs> earlier, I was a little like, oh, surprised um why do you think it's so popular even off campus for those for the students that aren't in the folklore classes where their professors are like you should come to this event um and for the people who are just bloomington bloomingtonians i think every october most people are looking for these kind of fall spooky events that they can attend especially with younger kids or their families and that sort of thing but i think the exciting thing that the ghost walk has is that it's not your average haunted house it's it's um it's stories that have been collected over the year like we said a lot of comes a lot of the stories come from haunted hoosier halls or comes from the archive um so it's this big collection of stories and it kind of helps to break that bubble that surrounds iu so often um, to kind of incorporate the town and the landscape more into what we're experiencing. So it's it's the fun fall event that everyone wants combined with the history of the place that so many of these attendees live around day to day. And it's an opportunity to get on campus and kind of mesh those two groups of people. A couple of years ago, um, you know, with social media and all, uh, the president of FESA at that time, um, Katie Kaneen, had posted it on the, the FESA Facebook page and um, some organization uh, saw it and, and kind of spread the word and people were coming from Kentucky and other places and had and more people than we possibly had capacity for showed up. Uh, it was alarming and we had to turn people away. I had to play the heavy and stand at the door of the classroom office building and say we were because we had our little reception up up uh, on the second floor. Um, we were way beyond capacity up there. It was definitely a fire hazard. And so I, I had to turn people away and uh, 
we had to pretty much sneak the whole group out the back door um, because it, it's a fundraiser. Um, not very expensive tickets, three, five dollars, depending on the year. Um, so we we just we just didn't have the room to take along 250 people because um, I'm sure we turned away at least 50 people, maybe more. Um, so uh, we've kind of adjusted the uh, the bringing in of of guests and and things like that uh, so that. Um, and people have to reserve a space ahead of time. That was a, an ins, install, installed last year. Um, so that we quite so many people just aren't ready to buy a ticket. Um, but as Chloe said, you know, people from all over are really looking for fun and engaging uh, events like that in October. So uh, we shouldn't have been as surprised as we were I think there's a, a little bit of mystery uh, for people as far as what goes on at the university too. Um, so I think there's curiosity about the university and it's a great outdoor tour of buildings and the history of the university. Uh, and I also think a lot of the town is, is, the town is full of a lot of alums who uh, remember having heard about some of these things back when they were students here themselves. It's a great tradition to pass on. Chloe, I'm also kind of curious as a student well, have you ever attended as just a participant instead of as one of the organizers? I joined FESA at the very beginning of my freshman year. So I was always a member of FESA, but that first year, I didn't really have as much of a hand in planning the event um, because I was like two months into my freshman year, didn't really know campus, didn't know what the ghost walk was. So I was more along for the ride than anything. I got to hold a lantern, which was fun. So I felt like I was involved that way, but all of the stories were really new to me. Um, and I had never been on the ghost walk before. So that was really exciting. Did it bring you to areas of campus you hadn't yet explored too? I think that I may have seen all of those areas of campus because we try to stop in very popular areas. So like by the, Herman Wells statue in the Old Crescent, uh, the Union, so places probably would have been before, but I hadn't necessarily been to those places when it was nighttime and when stories like that was being told, so it kind of, it felt pretty new. It definitely was not the same sunshiny area that I was used to walking through as I was getting to class. But it felt kind of like the ghost town that campuses lately. Yes. Yeah, it's very weird being in those places with only one or two other people walking by your big group. And it's always intriguing for those people, I can tell, because we have a big group of people. We have a speaker, sometimes with a microphone, telling these stories, and they kind of turn their heads because they have no idea what's going on. My next question, Robbie, is for you. As a storyteller, um, how do you embellish these written skeletons of stories? Well, part of it is um, trying to not remember, trying to not memorize word for word uh, the text of the legend that you're given, just trying to get kind of the the, the basic nuggets of it. Uh, but so, so especially when, and I'm lucky, I think that a lot of my stories, it's not just me as a storyteller. As I said, it's the, the paintings that they're based on too over in the, the uh, 
um, union building. Um, so I'll, I'll embellish things by, uh, you know, maybe if, if uh, I, you know, I, I go to folklore patterns um, sometimes. So instead of just saying that the ghost of a boy is, is uh, continuously messing with uh, silverware and, and place settings in the tutor room, um, I try to put it into a kind of classic, um, the first night they noticed this, the second night, right? So it kind of escalates um, to build a little bit of tension or uh, as people come into the room, I'll kind of say things like, um, now a lot of times people will just kind of come in and, and close their eyes and, and um, think about what they're sensing, right? To try to really get people to focus more on, on it being physically present in this room late at night, rather than just kind of listening with their ears, trying to get them to feel something supernatural uh, happening too. So I, I try to, to make it less like me lecturing at people, which I do plenty of, uh, and, and more uh, us all kind of sharing these stories together. That's kind of what it is too. I really try hard to take off my, my uh, academic hat and just remember how fun it is to tell scary stories in the dark with people. So I can imagine that the group feeling kind of enhances that emotion playing off of each other, I guess? Yeah, and, and because you get so many different types of people together too. Um, you've got people who come ready to believe. They're, they're treating it more as a history tour than anything else. Um, you get people who are there just to kind of tisk tisk and, and be skeptical about everything. Um, and say, oh, well, more likely the cleaning staff didn't do, you know, whatever. Um, but you also, of course, there are little kids there. So sometimes adults will kind of play scared to get the little kids more into it. And when little kids get really into it, everybody gets more into it. Um, that said, stories are, are <laughs> really frightening. So there's not always a lot of embellishment that we, we have to do. It's more in um, the style in which we deliver it. Um, and maybe lingering on some of the details that you don't necessarily get in a legend. Um, and that's also what's great about different storytellers each year. I've done it five or six years in a row now. And instead of being bored and thinking, okay, another, another walking through the dark, listening to the same stories, um, each person who tells the story tells it a little bit differently, even if they're trying to tell it the same way that other people have told it. And that always makes it much more lively. There's something really kind of um, live wire about it. Uh, everybody kind of doing it together. And it, it it's that audience performer interaction that kind of, <laughs> you can't help but embellish, um, no matter what you're planning on doing when you get in there. Have you ever tried your hand at storytelling, Christy? Um, I haven't uh, on this tour. I, I really prefer to kind of stay in the background when it comes to, to ghost talk. I mean, I am sort of a storyteller. I'm a singer. You know, singing is a version of storytelling a lot of the time. Um, so yeah, I've done I've done plenty of performance, but not in this venue. Uh, I figure there are better storytellers than I for for the ghost walk. Christy is our behind the scenes person that we sometimes really need, making sure that these rooms are unlocked. That things are cleaned up in the classroom office building. Storytelling's fun, but there's also stuff that needs to go on behind the scenes to have us smoothly move through campus, and she helps a lot with all of that. I think maybe as a wrap-up question, I know that this year FESA is in trying to work with the COVID-19 policies, and in response to that, they're trying to create a webinar for 
the ghost walk this year that will hopefully invite maybe more than the normal amount of people that the classroom office building can hold since it will be virtual. So, but after this year, hopefully this single year of making things work virtually, what do you all kind of hope for the ghost walk on a personal or departmental or college or even city level since apparently is all of those at the same time? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, being uh, traditionalists that we folklorists are, um, we would just like to, to see it continue um, to be something that people look forward to uh, putting on as well as being a part of. Um, one of the coolest things about the Ghost Walk to me is that, um, you know, it's been going on since 2012. We've had, you know, quite a few different students leading the organization since then. Uh, but, uh, but it's still uh, a great tradition that people are, um, that the students are still doing a wonderful job with, that uh, the department is supporting, uh, providing storytellers and, um, you know, just the lanterns and other, in space and, and uh, um, just uh, being there for the, the organization. Um, so, like I said, just that it continues to be a, um, a fun uh, and exciting, like Robbie said, something that never grows old or tired uh, type of tradition that um, hopefully by 2022, we'll be able to celebrate the 10th anniversary of this ongoing event. So that would be, that would be pretty cool. I do need to remember to give a shout out to um, the, the three students who uh, brought the revival, uh, Emily Coleman, Mara Boosie, and Sean Hindman. Um, I think Emily's in Indianapolis now. I don't know where Lar or Sean are, but shout out to you ladies. Um, you uh, have done a great thing for our department that still lives on. I think my loftiest goal for the Ghost Walk is that we have enough manpower in FESA itself that we're able to figure out how to do maybe a multi-day tour or multiple tours running in the same night to help accommodate more people. Because it always makes you a little bit sad when you see all these people who really want to participate, but just because of space constraints, we can't have that many people. Um, And I know we've talked about wanting to figure that out before, but FESA is a pretty small close-knit group and it's all based on the students work so there's only so much that we can do as a small group to put all of this on so I would love to see FESA grow in the coming years and in turn be able to have the ghost walk grow along with them Um, but if that doesn't happen which is totally fine I would just love to see this continue and to see FESA members still get the same enjoyment out of it as we do now even in the past four years, a lot of little touches have been added. So like decorating the upstairs of the classroom office building as an event the day before. So like coloring pictures that we put on the wall or adding different movies that we're showing before the tour starts or different snacks and things. So just kind of those little touches that we love kind of to see more of those be added and for the tradition to keep going. It's exciting. And as far as this year in particular, um, I think it'll be good just to see what kind of uh, a group we can get together, uh, how many people we can get involved. 
if I had heard about this um, at, in the, the webinar format um, just a couple of months ago, I think I would have been pretty skeptical. Uh, but it's now more months into this pandemic than we ever expected to be. And I think that we are all uh, collectively a bit more used to doing things in these virtual settings. So I think it's, in a way, it's going to be really interesting to see us kind of push on the limits of what you can and can't do uh, within this virtual format. Uh, and I think that uh, it's it's a really interesting lesson about legends and the supernatural as well. Uh, we think of it as very much place-based, and it still is tied to place. But um, the ways in which we can mediate that experience, I mean, most of us get our scary stories through the screens anymore anyway. So uh, I'm, I'm really interested in seeing how those kinds of things kind of come together uh, in this way. And of course, with the kinds of courses that I teach, um, it's really easy for me to pitch uh, these kinds of things to my students, whether it's, you know, occasionally I take the supernatural class, I teach an urban legend class every fall, and this is, uh, it's always a great way. I get my students kind of funneled into it. Um, sometimes I, and often I get students who tell me they heard about my class through uh, things that they've, they've done on the ghost walk. Uh, so I, I do, I've seen firsthand, maybe more than a lot of people, uh, benefits departmentally of having something like this going. So I'm really excited to, I assumed it was gonna not be held uh, this year and I'm, I'm really excited to see uh, that it is and, and to to experience what that's gonna be like. I have to say the officers of FESA this year did not even hesitate. Um, they met during the summer and then uh, uh, apprised me of what they were planning and that was one of the first things on the agenda. Oh yeah, we're gonna have a virtual ghost walk, no question. But all right, I have no doubt that you people do this. Thank you all for sharing your time and your stories. If you're interested in RSVPing for this year's Ghost Walk webinar, scheduled for Wednesday, October 28th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, you can contact Folklore and Ethnomusicology Student Association President Sydney Siegel at smseigal at iu.edu, or you can find it on the IU Folklore and Ethnomusicology Facebook page. Soundlore is an official production of the Department of Folklore and Ethnomusicology at Indiana University. Produced by David McDonald and Amanda Luke. Music by Pagliacci and some other clowns. It's engineered by Amanda Luke with support by Kyle Fulford. Do you have questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes? Leave us a message at 812-855-0396. If you haven't already, please subscribe to SoundLore on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded.